0: Welcome back to the Free From Wall Street Podcast. This is Stephen Libman. I have a special uh, replay. Take a listen. Let me know what you think. And don't forget to go to integrityhg.com. Sign up for the Investor Club so you can see all the deals that we have in our pipeline and what we have done in the past. Welcome to the Free From Wall Street Podcast, where we share how we have done over $200 million in real estate deals to create Preserve and pass on generational wealth without the roller coaster ride of the stock market. If you're ready to start investing with purpose, visit freefromwallstreet.com.
1: But for now, let's dive into this episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Kingdom REI podcast. This is your host, Ellis Hammond, with my co host, Cameron Roy. And this is the show for Kingdom Real Estate Investors, where we look to share the stories and the work that kingdom Minor real estate investors are doing in this industry. And with us today we got a special special guest, pumped to have him, a good friend of mine and Crusher. I like to say Crusher cuz dude is crushing it in the best sense possible. And Mr. Stephen Libman. So what's up guys? Stephen, how you doing, man? Living the dream, brother. Thank you so much for having me again. I
0: love coming on here and just talking about what God is doing in and through our business. So
1: great to have you on, Cameron, my man. Hey, brother. How are you? You know this guy, huh? You, yeah. You know this guy. You're familiar with him. Dude, You've I'm so done stoked. some
2: things. Me and Steve, we go way back, man. And it's all because of you, Mr. Goodellis. Yeah, Steve. Uh,
1: Steven gave you access to, I mean, you guys did, you did your first deal with Steven, right?
2: And my second.
1: And your second. Wow.
2: <laughs> Dang. Yes, sir. <laughs> you, you aren't kidding. Steven is a crusher. That's why I stick close to him, man. He's a great guy to have in your life, whether it's business, marriage, faith, whatever
1: let's talk about that real quick before we jump into steven's story i'd love to actually hear like like how you brought value to a guy like steven so that you could get started in this industry i think that's a, I think it's an important question a lot of people have
2: (laughs) steven how did i add value to you (laughs) uh no man i we met through this the mastermind dude and um like i could tell steve was doing big things and i wanted to pick his brain like he was somebody who i said okay i want to be somewhere in 10 years this guy's there i want to ask him and So time ahead, out
0: real quick though, because you said something that I always, it jars me a little bit. So anybody that's listening, I want them to not think that that's the way to approach somebody. And you didn't do it to me either. So I don't know what made the words fall out of your mouth, but don't call somebody that you want to be a mentor of yours or somebody that's a little bit further down the road I of yours your and brain. say, Hey, I want to pick your brain, right? Yeah. I always think it's interesting. Like we have to have the caveat. So what, yeah. that's not what Cameron did. We were in a mastermind together shooting towards similar kingdom oriented goals. And that was the synergy that we had right off the bat was we were both believers, mm-hmm. had same values, things like that. So sorry to cut you off.
2: No, a great, great point. But there are all things along the way. I love picking your brain. I'm like, Hey man, how do I be a better husband? I feel like sometimes I just suck. and I know you crush it. Yeah, man. We we just met and, and collectively, I just felt like he was a brother of mine from the beginning, as well as Ellis and a bunch of other guys in this group told me what he was doing. I told him what I was looking to do and where I was at was kind of ideal because this first deal we did uh, at least together is in my backyard here in Dallas, just right outside of Dallas. And Steven at the time was up in New Jersey, doesn't live there anymore, lives in a lot more beautiful of a place. But wow. I think it just made a lot of sense for where I was at, where the deal was, what I was trying to accomplish, how I come alongside the team here in Dallas. Yeah.
1: And you were able to bring equity. I mean, that was mm-hmm. something that Steven needed. You were able to go and bring equity to the deal, and that was helpful right. to get that deal to, to the finish line. So it wasn't like you just were getting a free pass. You you brought right. something
2: Yep, exactly. Yeah, the dealer money, I mean, that's really right. The the value there, but cool. For me it was, it was money. And
1: Wait, man, this isn't your show, Cameron. This is Stephen's show today. So, we're going to I uh, asked me all
2: the questions.
1: <laughs> Stephen, man, let's let's get a little introduction. I mean, we've probably already read your bio at this point, but I would love for you to just introduce, you know, how would you describe yourself, man, and what you're focused on in terms of this real estate space? I started out as a realtor about 15 years ago, maybe 14 years ago now. In the residential
0: space, working for some investors, finding them flip properties. And then at one point I said, you know, I think I could do this myself. So we went in with no no real plan, no real flipping experience, no real wholesaling experience, and no money in the bank. And uh, Travis and I went to Costa Rica for a couple of weeks and came back and decided to burn the boats. And if you don't know what that means, literally just means that we reached the shoreline and we lit the boats on fire. There was no retreat. There was no plan B we decided to become real estate investors full-time. And first couple of years was very difficult, but we did end up flipping nearly a thousand houses over the next 10 years and uh, learned a lot of lessons along the way, almost lost our shirts a few times along the way, finally found some great mentors that helped us scale that business properly and appropriately. And then about three years ago, we decided, man, you know, we're getting crushed on these taxes from wholesaling and flipping properties because it was ordinary income tax for us. And so we started looking and talking to some mentors about how to minimize our taxes. And they started telling us about passive income, depreciation, long-term capital gains, and just the types of things that you can get from passive real estate investing. And again, we went from doing 100 flips a year to shutting down that business, firing everybody and pivoting into the multifamily space full time. We built about 400,000 square feet of self-storage in the first year that we were in business, about $36, $40 $36, $40 million worth of deals. We've done over $150 million worth of deals in the last 30
1: months and raised out $52 million worth of capital. And we're um, just getting started. Yeah, sounds like it, dude. So multifamily is your game right now. Or is it most, is it, is it, have you have you gotten into other things too, or Are you still doing self-storage?
0: What our fund, so we're starting a fund now instead of raising deal by deal. The fund mandate will allow for senior student um storage and multifamily
1: oh wow but most of the deals that we're seeing right now are multifamily well man one of the reasons why i want to bring you on this show just because i you know i've been following you know of course we were in a mastermind together and just you you've clearly been a mentor to me as well and been following your journey and you know one of the things that sets you apart man is i feel like you're really bold and you've kind of built a brand and a reputation around you know what you guys support and how you structure deals and so can you talk about that one what, what that is um, and let's get into that and Cameron you know help help kind of start spur this conversation on because you may know the ins and outs more than I do but um, first let's, let's just give our audience like an idea of how and what you've been able to accomplish through real estate in terms of giving uh, and then we can talk about the structure of that but it's pretty cool how you use this this asset class to increased generosity and, and be able to give more yeah so through some prayer we were trying to figure out like Lord how do I give more now until I get quote unquote there and I don't
0: care how many real estate deals you've done depending on how much ownership you have depending on how big of the GP you are you might have a thousand units under management but really only make you know twenty thousand dollars a year out of cash flow right so it's just ask those questions to the sponsors you're partnering with but to figure out how you can give more now until you get financially there was kind of the, the pain point for us. I wanted to know, like, we're we're doing $30, $40 million projects, Lord. Like, How do I give abundantly through this project? And it was pretty simple, right? He just said, partner with me on every deal. And from a risk mitigation standpoint, what better risk mitigation do you have than partnering with the creator of the universe? So what we did was just say, every deal that we do, we're going to give incrementally more than we did last deal. And, you know, that's an internal conversation we like to give till it hurts. So we've done anywhere from one to 20% of a deal of cash flows and fees will now go to our donor advised fund so that we could give, um, the first year, I think we gave maybe $3,000 away this past six months. We've given over six figures a month away. Wow. So that trend should continue, um, you know, our goal, our three-year giving goal, and and this is the heart behind the company, right? So this isn't just us bragging on how much we're able to give away. Like, I, I'm always very tentative to talk about how much we give away because what the scripture says, right? Like, we're not trying to ring the bell in church and say, look at me. But at the same time, especially for this audience, I'm okay having the conversation because I think we're encouraging each other to be bold, to step out in faith, even in our giving and how important that is to say, 100. well, how do I start to give more now? Well, you know, trust that the Lord will continue to grow your business and give as much as you possibly can. Right. And, and then see how he blesses that. But I say all that because, you know, regardless of what we've been able to give and how many people we've been able to affect, it's all been God's grace to do it. But we put that first as the heart of the business to say, how do I back out my goals for acquisitions this year? Our goals for acquisitions are predicated on how much money we want to give away. And then back into how many deals that means. That means how, backing into how many uh, doors and what the profit per door will look like. So we know how many doors we have to get to, what the profit per door would have to look like for us to give away arbitrary number, right? Set, if we give a million dollars away this year, what does that look like in a level of acquisitions and cash flow so that we can give a million dollars away?
1: Yeah, I do. I love that. Like that's the way me and my wife t- talk about our budget. Like most people will start with a budget and say, "Well, we make." 100 grand a year so here's what our budget is and we actually do the opposite like what do we actually want to accomplish and do and spend time with our families and how much is that actually going to take because what you're doing there you're already putting yourself I think in the mode of the creator which we have we're made in the image of the creator we have the spirit of the creator we live you know we we believe in a god of abundance you're, you're putting yourself I think in the right mindset spiritual mode, whatever you want to call it, man. Like we, we are creators. There's abundance and opportunity out there. So I love that you're starting with what is our, what do we actually want to give or create? And then what do we actually have to go do to be able to, um, to, to accomplish that? Yeah. And
0: what you focus on grows, right? So like if you're focused on the giving and you want to grow that giving, what you focus on grows, if you want to figure out how many Lambos you can put in the driveway, and that's what's going to happen, right? And it, it it really is just the pyramid of what is the priority. If the priority is kingdom funding, right, which ours is, then how do we make that literally the priority for the whole team, right? And that's where we start setting the goals. If you're, you know, and this is past the tithe, by the way, we all have tithing Christians on the team, and all of what we're talking about giving is offerings, not tithes. And when we start to say we're going to give what's left, then that gets very small. It's similar to profit first. If you guys have read profit first, you focus on the profit first because you can end up doing more with less when you take some profit off the table, right? If you take 10% of tithe and 10% of profit off the table on every single deal, and then you run your business with the next 80%, then you'll figure out how to get it done in 80% versus the 90 that you were working with before. And that's the whole premise behind profit first is try to take as much profit as you can out of the business when you can and then do what you can. Because if I have a hundred grand to spend on marketing, guess what?
1: percent. I'm going to spend
0: a hundred grand on, on marketing, right? If I have a million dollars, to make or $2 million in revenue, then I'm going to spend the $2 million. If I only have a million dollars because we've given a million dollars, we'll figure out how to do it, right? Yeah, Just you're right on that. focus as goes.
1: I want to ask follow up to that. So I made this mistake. I'm a young entrepreneur, and admittedly, I've made mistakes. One of my biggest mistakes this past year was we finally made some money. But I didn't really have a good giving plan on when to give, and I was like, I'm going to give it at the end of the year. Well, end of the year came and I didn't plan for how many expenses I had at the end of the year and how much I had to prepare for the new year. And what I thought I was going to give, actually, I had to spend and there was no way around it. Like I had to pay people. And so, you know, that that's a it was an error on my part. Something I've learned. So I'm curious, man, like do you guys is it so you're saying it's every deal like you're not waiting to the end of the year. It's every month or every quarter, every deal. It's coming off from the top and you're not waiting. Is, Is that how you is that how you're doing that? it's
0: just like the tithe.
1: Yeah. It's every check whether that's an asset management fee,
0: whether a cash flow distribution, whether an acquisition fee, whether the sale of a property, like whatever whatever the check, whatever the revenue is that comes in, we decide that this is the percentage this year that we're going to start taking out of that. Or our goal is you know, we'll be able to do more as we start to. But, you know, Sean, we have a chief operating officer Sean who puts together our yearly budget. So we he knows what the daily is, right? What the daily cost is to run our company. So when we have checks come in, right, and he has it budgeted out, or so this is going to be profit, right? So Stephen and Travis get profit. Here's where the offerings go. Here's where the budget is. This overflow is going to stay in reserves. Like it's it, it's been complicated. And I get zero credit for this, right? We hired Sean on three years ago. And, you know, frankly, our business would be in a very different place if it wasn't for a guy that was minded towards that level of budgeting and planning. And like, that's just not me, right? Visionaries don't do that. We always think we're gonna earn more money. We always think we'll be able to hit our giving goals, but there's no real plan attached to it. At least there wasn't for me for about eight years. And then he came in and he gave us like, here's the budget, here's the plan. Here's some cushion, cause I know how you are. You're gonna go hire people. Here's your extra cushion for marketing. Cause I know how you are. You're gonna wanna send extravagant gifts to your investors. Right, like he starts to understand the ebb and flow of how we've cash flowed through the business and where the hurdles were and how to insulate ourselves from those hurdles, but to make sure that the giving bucket is the first bucket.
2: Hmm. Steve, how? Because I know what a donor advice fund is, but I don't. I mean, you're talking a lot about how vital it was to have Sean come in and kind of break that down for you guys. Was he? Was he the one who directed your company into a donor advice fund, or in the beginning were y'all operating? Because I love what you said, like, I'm just going to partner with the Lord. Did that at the beginning mean, okay, it's the end of the year, or it's the end of the first quarter, we've got X, we've paid ourselves, let's go find who needs money or our biggest heartstring, where's that at? How did that come to land for you guys on the donor advised fund model?
0: Well, the donor advised fund was simply a virtue of getting introduced to NCF and us seeing the value and how easy it was to keep track of our giving before it was very Piecemealed together, like, oh, you know, as a visionary, I'm like, oh, I want to fund these folks. And he's like, well, how much do you want to give? And so what we started doing was on a deal by deal basis, we would say, all right, so we're going to buy this $4 million project, and we're going to give this charity 2% of the general partnership. So whatever the general partnership gets, we're giving 2% of that general partnership to that nonprofit. Now, it got a little messy, right? Because you have heavy lifts that don't cash flow for two or three years. Mm -hmm. You have uh, some projects that if it's new construction, again, they don't cash flow. So there's like big pops in five years and then they're waiting on this cash. So we, we decided like, hey, through a donor advised fund, we can fund it as it comes in, get a stack of cash in there, and then go out to these nonprofits and say, hey, we expect over the next five years to give This, but this is what we're going to commit to over the next five years, and we would lower that number. So, if we said we're going to give you a hundred grand over the next five years, maybe we'd give them seventy-five hundred a year for five years, and the remainder balance when the when the balance came when we sold the property, right? Instead of giving them a windfall upfront, and this is through research and development from our nonprofits, we always said like, would you rather a fifty thousand dollar check today, or $1,000 $1,000 check a month to get you to $40,000, right? So we played the game. Like if I give you less but more consistently, would you rather that or would you rather $50,000 on a windfall? Every single one of them without fail wants consistency. Mm-hmm. So they all t- opted for the lower amount but more consistent checks because it helps them plan, right? From a business ownership perspective, I totally get that. They need to plan their budgets out. So, so we just made it really easy and through the donor advised fund said, okay, this is what we can budget out. And now we have monthly giving through our donor advised fund. And, you know, until more money comes in, we know where every dollar is going to go that's in that donor advised fund. Yeah.
1: So I got a follow-up question. I, I want to, there's one thing. So, I mean, I, it sounds like, man, you just picked a profitable vehicle. God's giving you a generous heart and that's been the real. It's not like there's any special structure to this unless I'm hearing something wrong. You just got a great vehicle, real estate. God's giving you a generous heart and you're carving out some of the upside to give more. Am I right in that? That's it. Great, that's helpful, it's really helpful. Second question, let's get past the technical stuff. This is amazing. I just wanna know what, it's like, what this is, like how this has transformed you, man, as a follower of Christ, as a business owner. Like you say, you wanna hurt, give till it hurts. I mean, just what has this done for you Personally, what has it done for your team, and then what has this done for your investors? Speak to that, man. Just what you what you've seen over the last couple of years, and in, in making this decision, and its its impact just across the board. Well, it's it's changed me because I've always wanted to
0: be an abundant giver, and I just didn't know how. So when God gave us the plan of how, it was such a relief because I didn't have to come up with the idea, right? I was like, oh, this makes total sense, right? And it's pretty easy because we have these deals. What it's done for the business in general, though, it changes, it changes the entire dynamic because our team is interacting with these nonprofits on a monthly basis, right? We have monthly calls with every single one of our nonprofits, and they come to us and give testimonies. So now they don't see this business as just the opportunity to make money for themselves and their families, right? They're a part of a ministry. They're a part of salvations. They're a part of feeding people around the world, saving girls from sex trafficking, digging wells in Western Kenya, and, you know, servicing 4,000 families. It's, it it chased the focus off of what I think the world teaches us, which, which is the material stuff. And it puts the focus back onto how do we, how is this business impacting the kingdom? Right. And I think, Everybody wants to go. I think everybody wants to, you know, you've been a missionary. I've never had the opportunity to um, <clears throat> or taken the opportunity to, I guess, is a better way to say that. But it just really wasn't my call. Like, I just n- never been called to a mission field. And but I've been called to the marketplace. And I knew that. And for me personally, it was nice to see the intersection of marketplace and ministry come together so fluidly to where I didn't feel like I was skirting the kingdom because I had to focus on my business. right? My desire for success was no longer predicated on my desire for material things. My desire for success was okay because it's what God instilled in me to be a business owner so that we could go be the rope holders for these other ministries around the world. And yeah, my team is just, they're, they're excited about what it is that we get to do. The vision has changed from you know, this is how profitable we want to be to this is why we're so profitable. So, you know, it puts the why out there. And then finally, to your question of what it's done for the investors, I would say 50% of the investors don't care, right? And I would say the other half have come to our fund and to our business because if not at least partially attributed to that, that's the heart of the business and Mm -hmm. they have that as a core value for themselves and they haven't thought through as a family how to do it. So by investing, they inadvertently get to partner with us in those ministries and they get to have the benefit.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's that triple bottom line, right? Where they can make a return, they can have an impact and they're advancing the kingdom. Uh, That's pretty massive that their dollar can do three things. Does it matter what, like if you support an organization that, I mean, you say 50% just don't care, they don't even look, but how, how selective are you with your, your organizations, your nonprofits is, is that? So all but one, our kingdom, um,
0: kingdom nonprofits. And I say all but one, because the, that one that we're talking about is the Tom's river field of dreams. So there was a story years ago where a Tom's river teacher from New Jersey and his 18 month old son got hit by a beer truck of all things. And the son, um, had a traumatic brain injury and he was bound to a wheelchair, very different life, right? And they're a Christian family, but they were trying to get to a park to get their son on the swings and all this other stuff. And there just are not that many handicap accessible parks. So Tom's River Field of Dreams has now partnered with um, Todd Frazier from the New York Mets, home run King, I think last year, he sponsored a wheelchair friendly baseball diamond, right? With that Hmm. soft spongy material and stuff and bocce courts and basketball courts and handicap accessible bathrooms with lifts and things so that you can lift other people onto toilets and stuff. I mean, incredible three and a half million dollar project that is opening, uh, in March actually. And we sponsored that field. So we help partner at that nonprofit. So it's not overtly a Christian nonprofit, yeah, but, but, but it's kingdom work. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's, and, and for me, I, I lost a, a brother of mine, um, maybe four years ago now, who was severely handicapped. So that just tugged on mm-hmm. my heartstrings. I, I had a, a heart for that. So that is the non-Christian, right? And I use that term loosely, but yeah, mostly it's ministries and we're funding ministries that are literally going out, and sneaking gospel into China and Thailand and all kinds of stuff. Uh, a lot of underground missionary work. Um, so, but that is the focus, right? And. Outside of podcasts like this, I mean, you'll hear me say to my podcast too, like Kingdom Building Nonprofit just kind of rolls off the tongue. I, I would say the non-Christians don't know what that means, right? Or don't seem to look into it very much. And I've had a, a bunch of investors that have called me and said, look, I listen to your, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I appreciate what you're doing. And I, I, right. I love I'll get behind what you guys are doing because you stand for something, and I would I would like to partner with you guys regardless. And I think that's a beautiful thing because I think that that'll continue to minister to those investors that aren't saved yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is no small feat. You guys have raised a lot of money. How much have you raised in the last two years? I only know the 32-month number. It's $51 million bucks. All
0: private investors?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> That's pretty awesome, man. All retail investors, yeah. So no, like institutional five yeah. million dollar check writers. I wish.
1: Yeah, thanks
2: for the clarity.
0: Hard to do at a hundred thousand dollars a clip, but it's.
2: <laughs> Steve, man, I I just love that. I mean, I wasn't aware until I got around Kingdom REI and and folks, guys like you that you could do stuff like this. I was of the mindset too before of like, oh, in order to be generous, you need to be successful. And I go back to the Bible and I just keep reading this story who gave everything. It's like, you just need to be generous to be generous. And I love this idea of you having just, you know, God says partner with me and Tommy Nelson, a great pastor says that, you know, just because uh, you're a Christian doesn't mean that God wants you to lean on a shovel and start praying for a hole. You know, he's going to toss that shovel and say, let's go. And so I, I as long as I've known you for about two years to see your business evolve, your giving evolve, the clarity on how you guys are going to do business to be more generous is so encouraging for guys like me. And I know plenty of other people, man, but to, to also challenge me like, okay, I don't need to hit these landmarks to be generous. I need to be generous to be generous.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: so, man, I just want to give you a round of applause. You've, you've truly encouraged, inspired, and challenged me in that. And it's just been so cool to be your friend through it all as well.
1: Yeah, well, 100%. I think what I appreciate, man, is like you know, you say you gave three grand, grand the first year. It's not a lot, like, but now you're giving six figures a month. It was a
0: lot for me at the time. Okay, that's,
1: <laughs> that's a good, that's a good distinction. But my point is that like, it didn't start with six figures a month. Like you say, hey, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna we want to we, we want to we want to, because what what I what I think is the fear, man. I think I share this fear is like, I just don't I don't want to be poor. <laughs> I don't want to I want to be able to provide for my family, <laughs> and what you've done is like saying, no, we're, we're just going to, as our business grows, we want to continue to increase our, 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 what we give to. And so in some ways, like as the Lord blesses and the Lord causes you guys to flourish, your giving and generosity can grow alongside of that. And, and, and honestly, probably you could speak to this has in incre- as, as the more you give and the more your business grows, you see the Lord taking care of you. It probably causes, it's probably made you more generous today than you were two years ago, I would imagine. So you could speak to that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, to your point, right? You gave more than you could afford to give based on your budget this year, because you have a generous heart. I'm I'm the guy who, when, you know, somebody's car broke down, I was like, let's fix their car, give them my car. Right. My wife, when we first got married, was like, I love your generous heart. She's like, it's part of the reason that I married you. She said, but you have to grow in the grace of giving. You can't start at the end you're not, you're not there yet. You can't give that yet. Right. And I was always like, yeah, I'll give to that. It's like, with what money? I was like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. (laughs) So she always taught me like over the last couple of years, I've been having a lot of conversations about what it looks like to grow in the grace of giving, because I think we want to achieve this level of giving that we set on ourselves for one reason or the other, because, We've dictated it to ourselves. that as entrepreneurs, we set goals and we hit them. That's our goal, right? That's what we do. We keep a scoreboard. That's not what the Bible teaches though, right? So it teaches to grow in the grace of giving. It teaches us to give till it hurts. It teaches that the, the rich guy who gives a little bit isn't as honored in the kingdom as the poor lady who gave a lot, right? And I'm sure when you comparatively think 3000 to 100000 a month, it's like, well, in what ratio? right? Along what level of spectrum is that growing in the grace of giving, right? Are you giving more percentage wise now than you were before? Mm -hmm. The answer is yes, but it's a bigger dollar amount too. And we had to learn to grow into that. So, and plan for it a little bit longer. Like I wanted to give now. And Sean was like, we're sitting on this money for six months. I'm like, but that's kingdom money. He's like, it'll still be kingdom money. Right. But we, we have to budget it out so that we know that we can fulfill our commitments to the other nonprofits. And so I want you guys to be bold, right? In terms of what you can give. And I know that God will honor it, but he doesn't want to put you and your business and your family in a financial strain so that you can give either, because guess what? If the business goes away, right? You can't give. So to grow in the grace of giving is good stewardship and it's slower than we want. So it our business growth. That's okay. Yeah. Right? So it's just growing in that grace of giving, being a good steward through it, not beating yourself up too much. Like, you know, we just bought a beautiful home, we moved south, we um we we live a very comfortable life in comparison to what it was five years ago. We're also doing much more abundant things in the kingdom to do so. So, you know, I it's it's the verse, you know, press down, chicken together, pouring out. Like it overflows, right? The blessings mm-hmm. overflow. And that means that. You know we get filled up too. I'm not saying that we get filled up with Ferraris, but saying we get filled up so that we can give and give more abundantly.
1: Yeah. Hey, I got uh, I got one one other question for you before we get out of here, man. Is you know one of the things we've talked a lot about it's why I started a mastermind is I've just always tried to elevate myself and elevate my mindset, elevate my activity. And the only way I know how to do that is just put myself around other people. I mean, what you have accomplished going from not being a real estate investor to you know flipping a thousand homes to then getting into multifamily and raising what you've raised in a couple years and now growing a team what are you doing man like you know you just the speed in which you move at like what have you done to elevate who you are steven so that you know I, i talk a lot about this inside of our mastermind like our. There's the the three um, caps, the lids of leadership, you know, or the lids of business growth. And those lids, you know, your business can only flourish or grow underneath that leader. Like, and as much as that leader is growing, that organization can grow underneath that. What are you doing, man, to grow and, and raise the ceiling of your potential so that your organization has been able to grow underneath that? Can you speak to that specifically? So that guys like me, guys like Cameron, people who are listening to the show, can uh, continue to elevate elevate themselves.
0: So I mean that's like step one, right? Is get around the people that are doing what you want to do, right? Cameron did the same thing. He was like, "That's the type of stuff I want to do." Let's go see how I can add value to that, and and find some good partners. You know, mentorships, masterminds, those types of things are that that changed my life, right? Figure out where you want to go, find somebody that's there, and figure out how to partner with them or get around them. And paying for a mastermind is easily the fastest way to get there, right? I mean, because you're going to pay for it one way or the other. You're going to pay for it in mistakes. You're going to pay for it in time. You're going to pay for it in the mastermind cost. We regularly spend six figures a year on masterminds just so we could be around people doing similar things or better things or bigger things than we are. Three years ago, I got into a mastermind where I was like, I just need to get a thousand units under my belt, right? Now I'm in masterminds where the smallest guy outside of me has 10,000 units under my. Okay, what's that look like? And the, the restraints that you have are usually the same things. It's personnel, character traits, skills, and your core values, right, or your, or your faith. If you can, on a daily basis, take time to work on those things, right, identify the personnel, who do you need, right? I used to think the whole idea of I can't afford to pay them was real, and I did it for 10 years. Now I can't afford not to pay people mm. because I want the top talent, rockstar A players. Otherwise, I have to learn that skill. So I shifted my mindset to I can either pay for that skill with the personnel that I'm hiring or I have to pay for it in my time to learn the skill, hire somebody without the skill, train that skill, or I could jump the line, right? And the guy we were talking about before this started, like his pedigree is way further down the line than mine. Well, hire that guy right? Like, and it makes sense. And yes, you need some revenues to do it, or you can get really creative with your comp plans. And that's a whole different topic, but behavior, skill, personnel, or character, skill, personnel. So skills, you, you hone your skills, right? Figure out what your business is missing or what you need to hone your skill on. I'll tell you right now, as a business owner, it's always leadership. If you're a business owner, regardless whether you have one employee or 150 employees, you should be spending an hour a day figuring out how to be a better leader servant leadership is a real thing that's talked about very much in the Bible. And you can figure out how to do that and spend time making sure that you're spending time doing that. Again, this was one of those things where I didn't think I could afford to spend an hour reading books on leadership development, personal development, business development. That's, that's, that's not true, right? Warren Buffett spends six hours a day reading two hours a day doing stuff. Like you need the skills. So you need to learn those skills. And that can only be done by spending the time listening to books, re- reading books, listening to podcasts, et cetera. Spend time in the word every day, partner with God, make sure that he starts your day. And if he doesn't start your day, make sure that you get him into the day, right? For years, when I started this business, God was last on the priority list. So I would wake up, I'd go to the gym, I'd come back, I'd read leadership books, I'd dive into my day, I'd go through all the stuff that I need to get into. And I had a heart for the Lord. I still went to church. I was still a believer like, but I didn't put what he wanted for my business first every day. And now we start every L10 meeting with our team with prayer. We start every same page meeting with all of our team minute, members with prayer. Like we, we try to remember to keep God first in the business because it's truly his.
1: what else you got, man?
2: Steve, I got one more question for you. Um, I know Ellis had one. I have one too. And I just wanted to gain your insight. I I heard this quote recently and it's been rattling around in my brain and I want to run it by somebody like you has done quite a bit. is a little bit more seasoned than me. And the quote said to bite off more than you can chew and then figure out how to chew it. So as a guy who's done a lot and maybe sometimes you've you've put more on your plate than you wanted to or know you should have. What do you think? You think you should be, you know, reflective and figure out I can only chew this much. So therefore I should only bite off that much or I hey, bite off a little bit more and figure it out.
0: You know, I, I can tell you what it means for me and okay. I do, I do know enough now about hiring and firing people and the people that we've partnered with is that you can achieve the same things over the long term as people with very different viewpoints. So actually my, my friends, Chris and Arian Lemire, you guys know them, right? They're believers and also in the multifamily space a beautiful post post on Facebook about this. And they said, you know, what do you think? Should I rip the wheels off and go full bore into this? Or should I have like, they answered somebody else's question. Or should I have like a year of money in the bank and then leave my W-2 job and then go into real estate, right? And that's what they did. They made sure that they had a year of budget and a cushion, and then they got into real estate and they've been wildly successful at it, right? They're very methodical, the process oriented, the risk averse i'm risk averse in my own way and what chris said was i think you'll find a wide gamut of answers right for us this is what we did i know some other people in the space that had no savings no plan and burned the boats and i was like Ooh, that's me right and it's not because i'm not risk averse i'm risk tolerant to my own skill set i knew that i would do whatever it took to make sure that this business would win and to your point about should i continue to bite off more than i can chew that's all i do right we sit be hags with big, hairy, audacious goals. And I, everybody, every once in a while, will say, you know, this about a comfort zone or that about a comfort zone. And I always retort, like, I don't know what a comfort zone is anymore. We've lived so long outside of our comfort zone, that I don't even know what one looks like. So <laughs> I think, I think you have to know thyself, right? And know like what's comfortable for you and what, what's a, a decent level of like getting outside of your comfort zone versus, you know, I, I keep figuring out how to bite off more than I can chew and, you know, we'll figure it out.
2: I love it thanks man
1: Steven, give us the where, where do we I mean dude you're you're a man worth following he's on Facebook he, he I feel like you, you put out more stuff on Facebook than than, than anywhere so you're a great that's a great place probably to follow you but where um for folks to learn more about what you guys got going on man where where can we go yeah you can always go to our website integrityhgcom Check out the
0: Invest With Purpose tab. That's where we support all the nonprofits and get updates on them. Uh, Also, I have a podcast called Free From Wall Street. Mm. So check out the Free From Wall Street podcast. And yeah, just follow Steven Libman on any social media platform. We usually, everything that's on Facebook is usually on LinkedIn or Instagram if you have a particular social of choice. But um, yeah, we're all over the place. love to talk to you if you're a believer trying to figure out how to you know do your business you know especially if it's in real estate you should be talking to Ellis and getting around his mastermind and I was there for a long time we have since moved into one mastermind a year just based on time so we haven't had the pleasure of attending all the events recently but I do expect that we'll have calls and stuff that we'll be able to join onto so The mentorship is a big, is a big piece of this. So you can follow me, but follow other guys that you know are further than where you want to go doing the things that you want to do. So whether it's me or somebody else,
1: just get around those people that will change your life. Yeah. go work, man. Hey, let's uh, let let's pray, man, before we get out of here. Let me just pray for you, dude. I always like to start that way, but today we, we're going to finish that way. So, God, thank you so much for our brother Stephen. Thanks for the work that you're doing, uh, not just in his business because it is clearly a work of you, but the work you're doing inside of him, creating a spirit of generosity. Like that is such a like that is such a a bucking of the world that God. It is, can only be of your spirit when the world calls us to want to accumulate and to store here's a man saying no we want to give and so God, clearly that's a work of the holy spirit so it's a testimony of christ and so we thank you that you would do that in the hearts and lives of men like stephen and pray that that would just be a contagious spirit from this podcast show that would ignite in the hearts and minds of, of people listening across the country and that, lord this would be the most generous generation that has ever lived, has ever existed, because clearly it is the most abundant, most wealthy generation, Lord, may we also be the most generous, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. 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 All right, guys.
2: Yeah, good chat. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. As always,
0: thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Free from Wall Street podcast. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review, and let us know what you think.